This podcast is brought to you by the Afterlife Conference that is going to be held in Orlando, Florida, November 1st through the 4th. We are also going to be live streaming this event, and this event is going to explore the world beyond death through instructional presentations, experiential workshops, and group processes that include hands-on instruction for out-of-body journeying, readings with mediums and intuitives, bereavement support, past life regression, sacred ceremonies and rituals, academic research and scientific investigation, multicultural perspective on death and beyond, and talking to children about death. Some of the keynote speakers that they have at this conference this year is going to be psychic medium Thomas John, mystic scholar and theologian Andrew Harvey, the Monroe Institute's William Buhlman, Terry Daniel, who is the founder of the conference, Monica Williams, M.D., Medium and intuitive counselor Susan Geisman, Suzanne Northrup, who is also a medium, and shamanic practitioner Linda Fitch. So if you guys would like to attend in person, head on over to their website, which is afterlifeconference.com. They still have tickets available. And if you are unable to travel, you can watch this in the comfort of your own home or at your office by purchasing the live stream ticket. And our live stream ticket right now has an early bird pricing of only $99. And this sale is going to end on September 6th. So we decided to extend the early bird special through Labor Day weekend for those of you who are still traveling and having fun in your summer. Um, And that will end on September 6th. And then the price goes up to $129. And the day of on November 1st, if you forget to purchase a ticket, you will be paying $149. So I highly recommend to head on over to path11productions.com slash AC 2018 and purchase your live stream ticket today. Hi, and thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 podcast. I am your host, April Hanna. At the Path 11 Podcast, we are here trying to deliver leading-edge research on consciousness, healing, and metaphysics. And just like you, we are trying to answer the big questions about life. Who are we? Why are we here? And what is our purpose? We hope by listening to our podcast, it will make each day you live on Earth a little easier to understand. And now for today's podcast. Hi, everyone. We have a great show for you today. And I wanted to open it up with actually a quote by Nikola Tesla and is actually mentioned in the book that we are going to be um, talking about today. And uh, Nikola Tesla is often quoted as saying, if you wish to find the secrets of the universe, think in terms of energy, frequency and vibration. And we are going to be talking about all of those different things and our thoughts, as I would like to introduce our guest today, Dawson Church. He is an award-winning author whose best-selling book, The Genie in Your Genes, has been hailed by reviewers as a breakthrough in our understanding of the link between emotion and genetics. He founded the National Institute for Integrative Healthcare to study and implement promising evidence-based psychological and medical techniques. His groundbreaking research has been published in prestigious scientific journals, and he is the editor of Energy Psychology, Theory, Research, and Treatment, a peer-reviewed professional journal, and a blogger for the Huffington Post. He shares how to apply the breakthroughs of energy psychology to health and athletic performance through EFT Universe, one of the largest alternative medicine sites on the web. And we are going to be talking to Dawson today about his most recent book called Mind to Matter. So welcome, Dawson. April, it is so good to be here. Thank you. 
Yes, thank you. And um, I loved when I opened up your book and read the first first couple of pages of the first chapter. And uh, you know, we were you were kind of uh, mentioning in there about how thoughts can become things. And while there is truth to that, there are also some thoughts like wanting to become one of the best NFL players that's probably not going to happen in your lifetime. <laughs> and how some of those thoughts actually don't become things. So, um, and I know that that's we're going to kind of move into a lot of different stuff and talk about the science. Science, uh, behind that and how the science of our brain can actually create our material reality. So That's right, yeah. it's, it's worth exploring that middle ground. And right now I'm drinking a cup of coffee. And so April, if I told you that I, I manifested a cup of coffee, you probably wouldn't be too impressed if I told you I walked out to my coffee maker this morning and I inserted the grinds and water and hit the, hit the on button and voila, I got a cup of coffee. But if I told you that I had uh, held out my hand and a cup of coffee just manifested from thin air in my hand, then you'd be really impressed. So what, what one thing we can't do, one thing we can do, and then what's the middle ground between what's impossible and what's possible? And, and I wrote this book because I wanted to show people that middle ground is much, much larger than what we've come to believe. So what you can create with your mind alone, with thought alone, is astonishing. It really is. Yeah, and and I like to, you know, you had parts in the book about how metaphys metaphysics meets science, and how some people think that those two worlds are incredibly far apart, but actually, um, in essence, they're pretty close together in some ways. Science looks a lot like magic, and one great scientist, I forget who, said that. Oh, Arthur C. Arthur C. Clarke, that's right, the novelist, said that what we regard as science in our generation, previous generations would have thought of was magic. Like right now I have my Apple Watch on and I charged it by putting it on a, on a little stand. I didn't have to plug it in. Um, that would have been unimaginable just 15 years ago. Uh, we're using devices like cell phones now that when I first used a cell phone in 1985, it was the size and the shape of a large brick. <laughs> mm -hmm. So there are all these things that, that happen, and uh, it's, it's just remarkable what science tells us. But I also think that science is a good guide because I want people to do things that are going to work and not waste their time on things that aren't going to work. And science is a good guide to that because there are all kinds of ideas, like meditation is an example throughout Mind to Matter. I really emphasize the, the benefits of meditation, but not just any meditation. Some meditations, like meditations I first learned when I was 15, 20, 25 years old, many years ago, those meditations by and large are not all that effective by comparison to what we now know, when we hook someone up to an MRI or an EEG and see the brain changes and know the brain states we hope to achieve through meditation. Now, knowing those brain states and knowing what science tells us about how they're evoked, we're able to guide people and they can achieve those brain states in just a few moments. Like uh, the, there were famous series of experiments with Tibetan monks in the early 2000s and they were done by Richard Davidson at the University of Madison. And he found that, the certain, that there were certain brain waves that were characteristic of those monks and there were certain brain states, certain parts of the brain were switched on, others were switched off. And so we have that roadmap now, but those monks had been meditating for an average of 31 years 
around four hours a day. And that's simply not possible with our Western lifestyle. So we now, though, having that roadmap of what exactly what's going on in the brain of people, brains of people, I now, for example, have been doing meditation retreats for the last few years. And we hook people up to an EEG and we can just guide them through a series of exercises that in just a few simple steps have them in the same brain state as that master meditator who's taken 31 years to get there and four hours a day of practice. We now get them in that same brain state on the first day, the first morning of a, of a meditation retreat. We have them there in, and we time this, because we know, we know this works. We have them in that same brain state in four minutes, and they're, they're exhibiting the same brain wave and brain activation characteristics as those meditators. By the second day, they're in that brain state in less than 90 seconds, and sometimes they'll have a whole group and we'll bring them into that same brain state in 20 to 30 seconds. So it doesn't take that long if you know what you're looking for and if you're using science to guide you in the right direction. And that's why it's really important to use science to distinguish what you can do, what, what is the cup of coffee you can make, and what's the unrealistic pipe dream that you'll just waste your time and money and energy and thought and focus and concentration trying to achieve that's impossible. It's really worth knowing what science says is possible for us to achieve. So I bet some of our listeners are saying, okay, so how do you get them in the brain state like that so quickly? <laughs> uh, well, uh, it's funny, when I first propose, I, I teach at all the big retreat centers like Kripalu and Esalen and New York Open Center and Omega. And so when I first proposed, I've been teaching uh, EFT tapping acupressure at, at, at Esalen for a few years. But I said to them, hey, I emailed them and said, hey, let, let me teach meditation there. And it's I, I have this very simple method. It brings people into the state very quickly. And uh, they emailed me back saying, Dr. Church, we have had every prominent meditation teacher teach at Esalen for the last 50 years. And we, we can assure you that it's not that easy. <laughs> they didn't believe it could be so simple, but but it is. And so you simply, what, what we have people, train people to do is you have to relax certain muscles, you have to, which send certain signals to parts of the nervous system to relax the whole body. You have to um, breathe in a certain rhythm, and that puts you in heart coherence really quickly, because if you've ever done any heart math or heart coherence training, you'll know if you're a meditator that usually meditators, when they meditate, go out of heart coherence. Even if they're in heart coherence to begin with, they go out of heart coherence in the meditative state. So you have to train yourself to both be relaxed, be in that state, and also be in heart coherence. What we don't advocate people do or have them try and do is still their minds because you, uh, unless you're a really super calm person uh, or a really accomplished meditator, you can't do it. People's minds are meant to be active. That's just what the mind does. And so giving someone the instruction to still your mind is just an impossible um, thing to ask them to do. So we don't do things like that that we know are really hard to do. We have to do things that are easy to do, but then that put them in the state really quickly. So it's powerful to know what that the target is you're aiming for. We also now are starting to correlate those experimentally, those brain states with neurotransmitters and hormones. So we know, for example, we, we at Esalen uh, last year, we analyzed people's uh, levels of stress hormones. We measure their cortisol, and we also measure their levels of immunoglobulins, which are a good, really good proxy 
for how well your immune system is functioning. And we found massive changes in one week there. We found that people had a 37% drop in their baseline of cortisol. So they're getting much less stressed as they're using these methods. And when they did that, their level of immunoglobulin, their, your main immune marker, it's responsible for fending off viruses and bacteria and toxins in your mucous membranes, their levels of, of immunoglobulin, even as their cortisol was dropping 37%, their level of immunoglobulin was rising by 113%. So over a doubling of their immune function. So powerful shifts in the body. And we know that they correlate not just to uh, these brain waves and brain states, they correlate to neurotransmitters and hormones and all kinds of other activities in the body. So we are, we're having a drastic effect on our health and longevity by practicing, again, these seem like metaphysical techniques that have been taught for thousands of years, and yet they turn out to be among the most potent medical interventions, medical interventions, health interventions, you can imagine. Yeah, and you do share a lot of stories in your book, uh, Mind to Matter, and you know there is a, a portion in the chapter, How Energy Regulates DNA in the Cells of Our Body, where you do say our bodies are programmed to heal. And you have a lot of stories of people um, really overcoming some medical challenges and illnesses, and you know the medical community might consider uh, many of these stories to be miracles or spontaneous healing or, whoa, well, we can't really explain it. But when, you know, you're reading your book, you're saying there is an explanation to all of this. We can explain how this happens. There is. And that's why you need the science to give you the understanding of, of the why. But uh, if this was just a book about the science and the why, it would be interesting. But because it has so many human stories of real people who applied this, and I'll just give you one example. This is somebody who phoned me, a friend of mine who phoned me a year ago, a year and a half ago, and she'd got a diagnosis of breast cancer. And there was a, a, a five centimeter, two inch or so diameter lump in her right breast. And it had spread beyond the breast, it's called metastasis, when it spreads out of the primary tumor into the body, and it had spread to the lymph nodes under her right arm. And so on a normal scan, you would see those lymph nodes, which have this clear lymphatic fluid in them. You'd see them looking like little tiny balloons, like a collection of balloons under your arm. Instead, they were filled up with cancerous cells. So the cancer was now moving through her lymph nodes into her whole body. And they also found three areas of inflammation on her right lung. So you know, this is metastasized breast cancer. It, it is not, not good news. And um, one of the surgeons, she, got, she had several, she was really wise, and she got several opinions. And um, one of the surgeons she saw at MD Anderson Cancer Clinic, a huge clinic, and it has three, three branches in the US, and um, she was in the surgeon's office, and the surgeon said, we want to get you into radiation today. It's that serious. But she decided to see what energy healing could do for her first. And so she, she began to practice energy medicine techniques like qigong. She uh, did EFT acupressure tapping. She got energy medicine treatments. She cleaned up her diet. She got rid of all the stress in her life. She turned off all of her alerts on her cell phone and her feeds and got rid of every possible source of stress. She did sound healing vibrational healing. Uh, she used her own voice for healing. So again, she's using energy, all of these energy interventions to shift herself. She didn't even get a biopsy. She declined a needle biopsy, didn't want to 
pierce the tumor and spread, potentially spread the cancer cells further. So this is in March of last year. By May, a new scan showed that the tumor had shrunk to 1.4 centimeters, down from 5 centimeters. So it had been um, 2 inches. Now it was about a little over a half an inch in diameter, big shrinkage of the tumor. And also, all of the lymph nodes under her right arm were clear. They were, they were full of lymphatic fluid again, no longer full of cancer cells. And the, the, the doctor, one of the doctors she was consulting said, well, you know, the tumor is still there. It's 1.4 centimeters. We should operate. <laughs> and another doctor said, hey, I'm looking at this, this mass that we're seeing in your right breast, but I think it's dead tissue. I think your body has changed so much from the, all the energy healing you've been doing that uh, it's, it's actually just dead tissue and it's shrinking because your body is removing it as a waste product. And this, this is just two months later. A couple months later, she was completely clear of cancer on every uh on every scan. Not only that, she when she was diagnosed, she had a genetic test and she emailed me in great alarm because she knows my field of specialty is epigenetics. She said, Dawson, they say I have eight defective genes which predispose me to breast cancer. And I said, you know, don't don't you you have twenty four thousand genes which predispose you to health. <laughs> right. Nice. Yes. <laughs> so let's focus on those. And uh -huh. we did. And then again, just a few months later, she was totally cancer free. So so the, the book is full of stories of people who use energy. And it turns out that energy is able to trigger massive system wide body body wide changes in matter. Energy changes matter. Energy shifts matter. And so when you want to shift the matter, the material substance of your life or your body, the first place to look is energy. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not knocking uh, regular medical treatment. It's still worth looking at what it can contribute to your healing plan, but also look at not just trying to change matter with matter, with pills and surgeries and other mechanical means, nutrition and so on. Look at what energy can do to change matter because it can change matter in enormously pervasive ways. Now, do you attribute her success and the rapid success of becoming cancer-free um, to the intensity of focus and intention that she had with, you know, shutting off all of the alerts, changing her diet, going to any and every type of energy practitioner and having super focus on that? You know, April, that's a really perceptive question because I think that her focus and her determination played a large part in it. And often we're ambivalent about ourselves and our lives. I know my mentor is a doctor called Norm Sheely, and Norm is the founder of the American Holistic Medical Association and uh, just a genius uh, healer and, uh, and doctor. And Norm muscle tests people for do I want to live or do I want to die? And he says that many people who come into his clinic where he's worked with over the years, he muscle tests them for do I want to live? And they're weak. And that shows they don't want to live or that parts of them don't want to live. And he tests them for do I want to die? And they test strong for that. And they some part of them does want to die. And we are not unitary beings psychologically. We have many different elements to our psyche. I, I want to buy a house, but you know, uh, 
I'm worried that I'll have this big mortgage payment at its top of the market. But if I don't buy the house, some part of me wants to buy the house, part of me doesn't want to buy the house. Part of me wants to get married, but then if I get married, what if it turns bad in three years and my previous marriage was a disaster, but I want to, want to be with somebody. But what if I'm alone and I'm 85 years old and I'm really lonely and blah, 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 blah. So there are all these voices in our heads and they don't agree with each other very often. We're pulled in one way and pulled in another way. So part of us may want to live, part of us may want to die. And so what I saw in her case was um, I, in, in our, I do a lot of live workshops, meditation workshops and, and, uh, and EFT workshops. And we have, there's a term we use in those workshops called congruence. Does the person really believe this with all of the parts of themselves? Are they congruent behind their healing intentions? And some people aren't. Many, most of us aren't. Some part of us does want to stay sick when we're getting what's called in psychology secondary gain from being sick. Maybe you're enjoying the attention you get. Maybe you define yourself in terms of your illness. Maybe you are um, you're not having to do certain things you don't want to do in your life, like work or uh, or, or be really active because you're, you're sick. So there are all kinds of secondary gains that sabotage people's wellness intentions. And so with her, as you were emphasizing, she was all in. There were no parts of her psyche hanging out on the sidelines, sabotaging her efforts. And so with that focus, with that congruence, she was able to bring the entirety of her being psychologically, spiritually, emotionally, physically, uh, in alignment with her healing intention, and, and that's when it really worked. And I talk a lot in the book about coherent mind. There's a whole chapter called The Power of Coherent Mind. And in Mind to Matter, as I studied master manifestors, people who just manifest effortlessly, one commonality in them is they have that coherent mind, even in their brain waves. When you hook them, hook them up to an EEG, we see highly coherent brain waves. When you hook someone up who is not congruent, we see brain waves scattered and not in coherence. So it's important to be in congruence and be in coherence behind your intentions. People who have coherence and congruence tend to manifest. People who don't have them tend to wishes, have wishes, but those wishes don't, don't, don't manifest. Now, if somebody was, you know, listening to this, and they said, well, gosh, I wonder if my mind is in coherence. How would they feel? How would they know that? How do they bring the mind into coherence if they're not sure if they have that type of state of mind? Uh, this this question perplexed me because I, uh, in a lab or in a workshop, will have EEGs there. We'll hook people up to EEGs. Like the New York Open Center last year, we had eight people hooked up out of our workshop of perhaps 60 people. Eight were hooked up to EEGs. We were measuring their brain waves, and we could tell that they were coming into coherent mind. And when you're in coherent mental function, you are in coherent brainwave function, which in turn affects uh, coherence throughout all the cell processes of your, your body. So here we have people hooked up to, to an EEG machine, but it costs thousands of dollars and takes trained technicians to interpret the results. Or if you're gonna get testing like we did at one of the workshops at Esalen where we're testing cortisol and immunoglobulin, you need test kits, you need, you need trained scientists to interpret them. So how do you know if you don't have all this, this expensive gear to tell you where you are? And so I, I, I worried about this for a few years. And in April, I realized something profound. And that is that when people are in that congruent state, they feel good. And so once you train them into coherence, you can watch that 
pattern on the EEG, and you can watch their hormones and neurotransmitters shift. And they're also feeling really good because they have this feel-good balance of neurotransmitters like dopamine, your main reward neurochemical, and serotonin, your main satisfaction neurotransmitter. And cortisol is down, which is your main stress hormone, and DHEA, your main cell repair hormone, is up. And so it's like a cocktail. It's like a mixture. If you go bake a cake or make a recipe or, or make any kind of combination of things, like right now I'm drinking my, my, my coffee. If I like my coffee with a spoon of sugar and, and, and milk, and one day someone sticks salt in my coffee rather than sugar, I would be able to tell right away that this tastes soulful because I've changed the recipe. And so our neurotransmitters are like that. There are thousands of biochemicals in our bodies. And when we feel good, we have a certain ratio of those, just like one scoop of coffee, one scoop of sugar and cream in my coffee. There's a ratio of those three things that's good to me. And I can detect that that tastes right the moment I raise my coffee cup to my lips. So what we found is that we look at the EG, we see when people are in coherence, and we, we, we then train them to notice how their bodies feel, which is usually fantastic. Energized, alert, but relaxed. They feel a certain way. And so when they've done with the meditation class, when they're on their own, when they're at home, when there's no one to remind them, that feeling is the formula they're going for. When they feel that feeling, then we know that their brainwaves are in coherence, their neurotransmitters are balanced, and so on. So the feeling, the body, the bodily sensation of well-being then shits them. And all kinds of amazing things happen. Like in Mind to Matter, I write about uh, neurotransmitters and hormones like anandamide, which is your, which gets called the bliss molecule. Ananda means, means bliss in Sanskrit. And when you have lots of bliss molecules, bliss neurotransmitters in your brain, you feel really happy. Anandamide docks with the same neurotransmitter pathways, docks with the same pathways as THC, which is the active ingredient in marijuana. So I'm sitting in bed there, I'm sitting up, I'm meditating first thing in the morning, I have all these wonderful brain waves, brain states going on, and essentially I'm getting high <laughs> on my own anandamide. And then a cool, another cool thing is that oxytocin, which is the main bonding hormone, oxytocin makes us feel close to our children, our friends, to each other, in, in couples and part, partnerships, we see a rise in people's oxytocin. And so they now feel bonded, but they're not feeling bonded to a person in meditation. They're feeling bonded to the universe. They're feeling a sense of, of uh, connection with the universe and having a spike of oxytocin, this flood of anandamide in their bodies, their serotonin and dopamine is balanced. All of these things are happening. And so now just by my subjective feeling of that formula, one scoop of sugar, one dash of cream in my coffee, just the way, way my, I know what my coffee should taste like, I know what my internal biochemistry should be when I'm in that state. And now after the meditation workshop, after people have left the open center, left Kripalu, left Omega, left Esalen, they're alone and they have a target to aim at. They know exactly what the formula should be, how it feels in their bodies, and they can then go there every single day if they choose to. 
Now, would you say, though, the key to lasting change and really beginning to change um, like the nervous system, the brain, the neuropathways, when they leave a training like this has to be continued repetition? Absolutely. It's, uh, it has to be repeated. If we send a signal through a neural pathway, it signals, it does its work. But if we send a signal through a neural pathway repeatedly for an hour, the number of synaptic connections in that neural pathway can double. So we're potentially doubling our number of synaptic connections in a neural pathway. Every hour we use it repeatedly. So you meditate every day and then you feel better and better and better. And the process continues day after day and you build those neural bundles. Just how fast this can happen is in chapter one, I tell the story of a TV journalist called Graham Phillips. And this, this is just a stunning case history, very well documented too, because he did the whole thing on TV for a TV show. And so I tell his case history in chapter one of Mind Matter. And <clears throat> he decided he, he had never meditated before, never done any of this stuff. In fact, he was not a believer in its efficacy, but he'd read that it helped. So um, he went on an eight-week mindfulness program, but before he did, he went into Monash University, where they have a really, really comprehensive neuroscience lab, and he got a complete workup, including a brain volume MRI scan. So they minutely measured every single part of his brain and the mass of neural tissue in that region. He then began to meditate and be mindful for, for, for eight, eight weeks. And after eight weeks, he had noticed behavioral changes. He noticed he was much calmer, much less prone to being angry with people, road rage, screaming at his colleagues at work, all these things improved behaviorally. When he went into Monash again, after eight weeks, all of his markers of reaction time and brain efficiency had improved dramatically. But when they did the MRI of the brain region scan, they found that different parts of his brain had actually got bigger by 2% or 3% or 7%. But the part of his brain that had grown the most in that eight weeks was called the dent, it's part of, part of the brain called the dentate gyrus. And it is responsible for emotional regulation across different brain regions. It helps you regulate your emotions. And in eight weeks, his dentate gyrus, the amount of the volume of tissue in that part of the brain, because of this process of neuroplasticity, passing signals through and then getting, making it get bigger, hour after hour as you pass those signals through over and over and over again, in eight weeks, his dentate gyrus grew by 22.8%. So that's a, a massive explosion of neural activity. And so now mind is creating brain. It's not brain that creates mind. I talk a lot in the book about the fallacy of the old scientific paradigm that our minds and our consciousness are the result of complex brains. It's just the other way around. Our complex brains are created and shaped by consciousness. And when you change your consciousness, like by meditation, like by EFT tapping, like by acupressure, like by time in nature, like by calming yourself, like by relaxation techniques, all of these things are shifting the way our minds work and our consciousness is, that then becomes manifest, concrete flesh, neural pathways in the form of changes in our brain regions. So again, a 22.8% change in brain volume in the dentate gyrus in eight weeks. And that is just one of those stunning case histories in terms of mind to matter that I wanted to make sure people knew about. 
Yeah. And, and even though that was over a span of um, eight weeks, you said, right? Eight yeah. Weeks? Yeah. Um, can, can we talk a little bit about how emotional freedom technique, um, our listeners will hear us uh, abbreviate it to EFT, um, how that works so quickly? I've, I'm trained in that as well, and I use that in my practice, in my mental health practice. And there are some times where there can be sessions when we're working on maybe a fear or a phobia or an old belief system, and you know we're going through the tapping protocol, and something really shifts in that person. And I have seen some of my cases where it shifts in that session and stuff does not come back. Like there is truly something that heals in that hour session. And that some, I mean, I love doing it because it's very mind blowing. And I'm, I'm always like, I like to call myself that open-minded skeptic, but I have seen sometimes where in one session, there can be a radical shift. Some might be like two or three, but it is such an effective technique to really kind of get people out of their way and to begin to live just easier lives once they're able to um, heal from whatever it is that, you know, they're coming to heal with that. So how can that work so quickly? Yeah, it is really remarkable to watch it work. I was doing a podcast uh, two weeks ago, and the host said, well, I have had a lifetime fear of spiders. And um, I asked him how big his fear was. I said, imagine a spider in the room there with you. And it, it was a very clean room, April. There were no cobwebs in the room. <laughs> <laughs> where my spider-phobic host was doing his podcast. And it was, this is a video podcast, so I could see, look around and notice how very, very clean the room was, no, no cobwebs whatsoever. And he said, if he, just imagining a spider in the room brought his fear level from a zero to an eight out of 10. So we score things with EFT on that scale of zero through 10. Right. And um, he, we did some tapping uh, on those acupressure points around his spider phobia and around this early event in his life when he'd been kind of bullied with a spider. And his phobia just went away, just was gone. And we see that with phobias, there are three randomized controlled trials of EFT for phobias. All of them show phobias going away in one session. And then people are no longer phobic when they're retested six months or a year later. So that's a common pattern in EFT. And what, what happens is we're now able to map why EFT works so fast. And several things are happening. One is that people's levels of cortisol are dropping a lot. In one triple blind randomized control trial I did in 2012, it was published in the big, famous peer-reviewed medical journal. And um, in this clinical trial compared talk therapy to rest to EFT tapping in just one session of EFT. And it showed that people's levels of psychological symptoms like anxiety and depression dropped by an average of 45% in just one session of EFT. And the level of cortisol dropped by 24%. So they're having a big change in their biochemistry. It shows up in their brain waves as well. When we retest them, what we find is they're no longer afraid of those things. And one of the most interesting studies about how it works was done at uh, Bond University in Australia, uh, and it's just being published now in a peer-reviewed journal. And they put women, obese women, women who are obese, because a lot of EFT, EFT is used for all kinds of things like improving your relationship, improving your finances, improving uh, your health, and especially for weight loss. It's phenomenally effective for weight loss. And so they put these obese women in an MRI had them think of foods they craved and the whole emotional midbrain, including that dentate gyrus, got totally lit up. So 
it's not just something that's going on in the mind. It's something that's literally measurable and going on in the brain. Those food cravings were manifest in the extreme activation of the emotional brain. So <clears throat> those cravings are happening and measurable as a physical phenomenon in the brains of those obese women. After EFT treatment, they put them back in the MRI, expose them again to the food they crave, and the emotional midbrain was completely calm after tapping. So it's working by deactivating the emotional midbrain. Uh, another example I use, I have an earlier book called the EFT Manual, which is the official manual for how to do EFT. And uh, in the EFT Manual, which is a comprehensive book on how to apply it to all those areas of your life, including for quality relationships, for, for money, and for weight loss, um, I use the example I talk about uh, one particular person who was, he was a Vietnam veteran, been haunted for 40 or more years by the memories of his best friend getting killed in Vietnam. And when he, uh, he had flashbacks, he had nightmares, then eventually he got treatment. And he shifted completely. He, he was remembering the scene. So again, I was remembering exactly what happened. But before EFT, he was having these flashbacks, he was hypervigilant, he had all the symptoms of PTSD. And he remembered the day when he and his best friend had been, been on patrol in Vietnam. He, they always walked in a certain way. They held their rifles in a certain way, and when they were on patrol, he always walked on the right, and his friend always walked on the left. That was always the way they went on patrol. But the day his friend was killed, his friend was on the right and he was on the left. So for 40 years, he'd had the script running in his mind that my friend got killed by the bullet that was meant for me. That was his cognitive frame, to borrow a phrase from psychology. His cognitive frame around the event was, my, he died because of me. And so after tapping, he suddenly came to this epiphany. He said, you know, just the way I wish I could have died in his place. We loved each other so much, he would have wanted to die in my place. And he had that, again, that's called a cognitive shift in psychology. Now, same bad event, same tragic event, the worst day of his life, but now he's reframed it. And, and again, the therapist has not reframed it for him. He's reframed it for himself. In our live trainings for professionals, we train therapists don't reframe for your client. With conventional talk therapy, sure, you got to do that. But with EFT, wait, be patient, tap, let your client reframe it for themselves. And so he flipped, he had a different cognitive frame, and his PTSD symptoms plummeted in, in those randomized controlled trials. The symptoms of those veterans dropped by over 60% on average. And when we test them later on, they're still dormant. And so over time, the effects tend to hold. Once you break the association in the brain between having the memory, thinking of the bad event in your life, and going into fight or flight, when you break that association one time through EFT, it tends to stay broken forever. So those veterans, when we retest them six months or a year later, they no longer are having those flashbacks, those nightmares, those intrusive thoughts. And it's because they still have the memory of the, the bad stuff. They remember it. They just don't have an emotional reaction to the bad stuff. And we know now that it's because that those emotional centers of the brain are deactivated by the acupressure. 
Right. And so, and I don't know if I'm using the right terminology in the brain um, when describing this, but, um, you know, when you're saying that was kind of his, his thought pattern and where he was coming from that, you know, if he walked on the other side, you know, he, he would have died. Um, and until he had that shift, is it because there is a new uh, neural pathway that's being created in the brain? So this is the old one. We come in, you know, the tapping comes in, there is that reframe and that shift um, in cognition, and then all of a sudden, a new neural pathway is created in the brain, and then the thought begins to travel down that little river. Yeah, so that's that increase in tissue in the dentate gyrus, that 22% increase that Graham Phillips experienced in eight weeks. And so, as you now have a positive frame for your life, you're now building neural tissue around all those circuits of thinking creatively and are framing things in a positive way. And this produces a vast change in your health. And one of the studies I cover in the book, Mind to Matter, it is a study of, uh, it compares optimists to pessimists, and it finds that optimists live, on average, eight years longer than pessimists. So this change in your neurobiology isn't just a, a, a nice feel-good thing. It's not just, hey, this, this guy's doing meditation, what a sweetheart, he's going to feel a whole lot better, how nice. It's like, he gets eight more years of life to play with his grandkids and travel the world and enjoy his retirement. And, and I mean, it, it, this, is, this is producing, again, not just little tiny changes in our health. This is producing massive shifts in our health span and our well-being to do this. Wonderful. This is great information. Now, for people maybe who don't really enjoy reading books, but they are going to gather every single podcast they can about your book, Mind to Matter, and try to get all of the content in, what is, you know, what is your hope and the takeaway that people will get from this book? What the takeaway is that I really hope they get, and actually I know that they're getting this because we have had hundreds of comments on our Facebook page, the Mind Matter book Facebook page, and on Amazon.com, people have left reviews. It's just amazing what people are, are learning. And what we have people do is enter the state of what I call high mind or non-local mind. So I emphasize that if we're doing our thinking and our goal setting and our visioning and our life purpose review from the perspective of our conditioned mind, the mind we grew up with, we're going to stay the way we are. We're going to be, remain small and conditioned people. But if we can shift into non-local mind, and I talk about it in the very beginning of the book, how being a non-local mind is powerful and different. And I talk about it at the end of the book, the last chapter and the afterword is all about blending, merging, letting go of being that little local person and building your dreams from that limited perspective. Instead, uh, identifying with and merging with non-local mind. And I use examples like flocks of birds. They're flying through the sky. And one example is, a, I have a video, because at the end of each chapter of Mind to Matter, that I can't obviously give you videos in the books. So we have a thing called the extended play section at the end of each chapter, which gives you video links and links to various resources. And one of those is a video showing four million starlings, birds, little tiny birds, starlings, flock of four million starlings and they're all moving as one organism. How do they do that? They're doing that because they are one with non-local mind. And if you as a human being can let go of your struggles, 
Let go of that little you that thinks you don't deserve love, you don't deserve a good life, you don't deserve health, that you're limited, that uh, what you can do is pro prescribed by your upbringing. All of that small local thinking is where most people stay trapped their whole lives. And what I passionately want people to do is break free of those limitations and, and then merge with the non-local mind. What I tell you in the book is that the vision that that benevolent universe has for you, the same universe that can coordinate the flock of four million starlings can coordinate your life, your health, your love, your well-being, the activity of your cells, the functioning of your brain, your visioning. And when you are in that state of merging with non-local mind, the vision that non-local mind has for you is infinitely more exalted than the one you, as a small local mind, can think of for yourself. And so you enter non-local mind, and that's where you set your goals from, that's where you draw your life vision from, that's what you become congruent with, and then powerful manifestations and synchronicities happen all around you. And so we're having people post those synchronicity stories on the Mind to Matter Facebook community, on the Mind to uh, posting it on in Amazon reviews, and people are having these just remarkable synchronous events happen in their lives when they apply these principles. That's, that's my passionate wish, is that people abandon their little, limited, small sense of self and claim that middle ground of what they can manifest, which turns out to be oneness for the universe. Wonderful. Dawson, thank you so much. And we will put those links in the show notes and people can also visit your website, which is DawsonChurch.com. And this was a great conversation. Thank you so much for being a guest on the Path 11 podcast. April, thanks for your vision and thanks for having me. If you want more information about our films, visit our website, path11productions.com, to purchase DVDs or to rent and stream each film. You can also find our trilogy of films on iTunes, Amazon Prime, and Gaia.com. You can still use our smartphone app for both Android and iPhones. Just search for Path 11 in the Google Play App Store, or if on an iPhone, look for Path 11 in the iOS App Store. Catch you next time.